Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Well, thank you for joining us for Everything Under the Sun, the AccuWeather podcast. I'm your host, Regina Miller, and I'm joined in the studio now by my producer, Andy Robb. Hello. Hello, Andy. I like the little radio voice there. <laughs> and Ken Prell, our director of audio services. So, uh, guys, this week our topic is one that I'm really fascinated with. Well, it's, there's a couple aspects to it. Mm-hmm. So we are going to be talking about uh, weather and how it relates to health, both physical and mental. So for the mental health aspect of it, we will be talking to Dr. Anthony Ng. He is the chief of psychiatry at Northern Light Eastern Maine Medical Center. And uh, one of the topics we're going to be talking to him about for this week is seasonal affective disorder. I got to say, for me, I always joke around that I am very needy in my relationship with summer. Like, as it starts to leave, I'm, like, hanging on to its ankles, like, begging, please don't leave me. (laughs) Don't leave me, Summer. I love you. So I can relate to this a little bit. But, you know, there are degrees of intensity for seasonal affective disorder. So we're going to be talking about that. Mm -hmm. And then the next topic we're going to be talking about is physical health. Because winter weather can really take a toll on you in a lot of different ways. Oh, absolutely. You know, like if you're not in great health, uh, you know, heart conditions. Why are you looking at me? I I know. (laughs) 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 Honestly, only looking at you because I was talking to you. Really, that's that's what it was all about. Uh, But for that, we will be talking to Frank Sanfrani. He uh, used to be an AccuWeather meteorologist here, but now he works with Center Lifelink EMS. And so the topic of our conversation, or your conversation, because you guys had a chance to sit down with him, and, and it's not because you're not in great health or physical <laughs> condition, but but you guys took over this interview. And so you're going to be talking about uh, cardiac care, respiratory care as it relates to all sorts of winter activities. It's coming up, so stay tuned. So my guest on the phone is Dr. Anthony Ng, and I'm so appreciative that you could take some time to talk to me about this uh, issue today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really glad that we get a chance to talk about seasonal affective disorder because I I personally know some people that have dealt with this, and Mm -hmm. I thought we could start our discussion because I think everybody has a sense of what it might be, but maybe you could just Mm -hmm. explain to me what it is. Well, seasonal affective disorder, or what we call SAD, S-A-D, actually acronym stands for, is a depression that has been described to have a lot of symptoms of what you see in someone with depression, such as depressed mood, problem with sleep, appetite, and so forth. But they also seem to have a correlation with seasons, as as the name implies, like people uh, who have less exposure to sunlight, people in the northern hemisphere, people who have a great exposure to winter, may have some of this higher risk of having this diagnosis uh, disorder. So people basically, you know, looking at patients when they present, especially around this time, or even during the rest of the year when they mention that, hey, you know, my mood seems to be worse around these um, time frame, and, you know, as the potential is, hey, is this something we need to treat differently? than the regular depression. When did it become clear that in the psychiatric community that this warranted its own separate diagnosis? You know, according to DSM-5, which is the guide that we use in psychiatry for diagnosis, SAD, unfortunately, is not listed as a diagnosis fully yet. However, 
people have recognized for quite many years, I, I say for several decades. And there's some research that tend to show, hey, folks with depression around these times seems to be have some seasonal component to it. Research out there is still going back and forth. There's still some research supporting it, and some research is still saying, no, it hasn't. In fact, there was a significant piece of research two years ago, roughly, that looked at where they looked at some CDC data over time, and basically they didn't find any major correlation to indicate seasonal affective disorder. So I think the... The debate is still there about the actual diagnosis itself. Okay, so there's not necessarily complete agreement across the field. Nope, no. Well, what are the symptoms of it? I think the big key symptoms people often look first, do they have signs of depression, which is, as I mentioned, a sustained period of depressed mood associated with some uh, changes in appetite, sleep, concentration, and it needs to be sustained where they actually have problems in terms of functioning. It can't be just, I feel bad, but I can do everything else in my life kind of thing. But they really should have a fair degree of impairment that could be social, work, or family kind of thing. And then you have to tag it with the associate time frame. When does it happen? Does it happen more during the wintertime? Does it happen more when you have less exposure to sunlight? And those are important questions to ask because, again, in the context of without those things, it could be a depression for something else. So it's important mm-hmm. to ask all those things. And just like you would ask about if there's any correlation to life changes, if there's any correlation to trauma, that kind of stuff as well. So with the depression, for example, mm-hmm. is there an amount of time that qualifies as depression as, as opposed to maybe just in a down mood. We all have like up and down moods on a regular basis. That alone and doesn't, you know, shouldn't be confused with a disorder per se. But this is, we're talking about sustained mood for at least several weeks and then, you know, like I said, with the impairment functioning at the same time. For someone who would be considered to suffer from like seasonal affective where it's related to the weather, would that be cyclical? Like, for example, can I expect maybe the same person to experience that each year? around the same time. Yeah. I mean, we, we usually should be cyclical because, again, it's not a one-time thing where you come in and say, you know, this winter I felt that badly and I'm going to have this disorder. I mean, I have to look at your pattern. I mean, yes, you know, just depressed, but it could be several weeks, but also you got to have several couple of years to say that, hey, two years in a row I'm having this issue. So, therefore, it's, we got to look at a pattern of um, a couple of years. And it can't, yeah, it's not a one-time diagnosis just to walk in kind of thing. How would you tell the difference between that and maybe like post-holiday or winter blues? And so like I'll give you an example because like my one daughter, she would get Mm -hmm. depression. We noticed it was happening every year about Mm -hmm. the same time. It would be in the the dead of winter here that she would get Mm -hmm. it for like three months. But then my my mother-in-law, I'm just giving you all my personal examples here, but my mother-in-law always gets just a post-holiday kind of blues Mm -hmm. after family Mm -hmm. has gone back you know the holidays are over so Mm -hmm. like differentiating between those and it's hard because the holidays usually happen around winter time that's why it's so difficult for someone to say you know which one do i really have and this is where it's important to ask those questions about what exactly happened you know when people talk about blues it's not the point of where you actually can't function because you know some folks who say hey you know even i feel badly about the vacation once it's over season's over you can't (laughs) go back to the grind of things but I'm functioning. I'm doing all kinds of stuff. That's that's okay because you know we just go through periods of uh, all kinds of great you know things, family get together and so forth. And you know for many that's a big disappointment at the end when everyone goes home. But for depression, like sad, you're talking about folks who actually can't function. I'm saying, hey, I, I, you know what? It may be it may be after Christmas, but right now I have in me eating, 
and I've been sleeping, I, I feel so down in dumps, I feel hopeless, that's a different kind of depression than a blues feeling. Right, right. It, it can be debilitating. Yep. Now, are there chemicals in the body or are there genetic predispositions? Like, what are some of the things that cause some people to maybe be inclined towards something like sad, maybe others not? It's just like depression. There are many school of thought about what are some of the risk factors. I think certainly a family history, genetics is a big one. So if let's say there's a family history of uh, depression or mood issues in someone's family, that puts my alarm bells up for a lot of mood issues, whether it's depression, whether it's SAD, whether it's bipolar and so forth. Okay. So those are things always need to be looked at. So if, for example, if someone said, I have, you know, three generations of people with depression, well, that person is going to be higher risk than someone who may have one time or none at all. And then the other thing, too, is you have to look at social support, what kind of support they have, because sometimes if we don't have the social support outside of it that can, you know, kind of boost them up, you become more vulnerable to any kind of uh, fluctuations and those things. And again, we talk about serotonin levels, you know, uh, epinephrine levels, those different school of thoughts about what causes depression. But if you have just those independently, but yet you have a very strong support system, you may actually last and get through things pretty quickly and don't even feel much of effect. The other thing too, we haven't talked really about the seasonal effective is that um, temperature. Because we only talk about the season, right. but when you talk about winter, you only think of cold. But we don't see some of the similar stuff, for example, in someone down in the close to the equator where, you know, you do get December, but it's still cold winter, but it doesn't have the same effect. All right. So the temperature can yeah. have an impact on that. Now, what what are some things that can help if you are someone who is I think uh, it's important that people have a routine. That's the one thing that people want to make sure they do. Because one thing is so easy to get into, especially in the winter time, is because, you know, people work, you come home and it's dark rape and, you know, you think it's, oh my gosh, this is like, you know, summertime, you'll be going to sleep by now. People kind of get late, you know, kind of get a little sluggish and say, you know what, let's take it easy and, you know, sitting home, it's cold and stuff like that. And I think that can generate some degree of um, inactivity that leads to, you know, higher risk. But if you can stick to routine, you know, I'm still going to have to do certain things, you know, at the evening hours. I go, either go take a walk or do whatever it is, or just, you know, go exercise or just, you know, have a, you know, just a meeting, or, you know, take your son to go, let's say, you know, to some um, basketball game, with that kind of stuff. Put a, a regimen in. I think that would maintain some regularity that is no different from your summer days. Oh, that's I mean, a, a good idea. You have some stuff you're doing. So it's important that people keep busy. Right. So those are the things that people should be, and then sure, maintaining a good sleep hygiene, making sure you're sleeping appropriately, getting the number of hours that you need to. Uh, those are important as well. And then make sure your diet is good and it's, you know, kind of broad so you cover everything. Now, I'd also heard about um, increasing vitamin D. And vitamin D is certainly something that people have talked about. Um, but the one thing is always to remember is if people, if folks are able to eat moderate, good diet, most of the needed vitamins are pretty much covered. Your vitamin C, vitamin D, and all those things you need are pretty much covered in your diet. So you want to make sure your diet is um, pretty appropriate because what happened is I think folks may get, get changed in the diet. For example, you know, in the summertime, what do you end up eating most? You end up eating, you know, fish a lot because it's, you know, it's just easier and, you know, it's good food and all kinds of stuff. But as you get to wintertime, people eat the comfort food that sometimes may or may not have so much vitamin D. Oh, true. So, like, because so, I think in the winter, you're going to be sitting inside with like baked yeah. macaroni and cheese. So, so therefore, people <laughs> are just kind of like missing. They switch a diet. And I think that's something we don't recognize. Again, not to say it's bad-ish, but just something you need to understand that your diet changed. Kind of moving on from sad, too, I wondered if there's any other weather kind of 
events that uh, have an impact on mood. For example, like I had heard that in like large cities, heat waves, that there can be higher crime rates, you know, things mm-hmm. like that. So I wondered if there's yep. some other kinds of things that can Well, certainly, the, especially when we talk about climate change now, that's a big, you know, focus, fight, you know, some of the current thinking in the government. I mean, there's still tremendous evidence to show that, hey, climate change is for real. It's actually going to impact more so. And there's been greater look at, you know, whether it's mood or behavioral changes that's associated with temperature. For example, they find that there's a great incident in some studies of uh, presentation in emergency room or mood issues or aggression um, in the summertime. Uh, and that could be from a variety of things because I think the high incidence of heat and therefore people get less, you know, less tolerant Patience, of certain yeah. things and that become uh, more out in the open. And again, with the city, you see some of that just because I think um, city temperatures are usually higher than, than the outside. I mean, like I know, for example, you know, you could be, you know, they forecast, you know, 85 degrees in New York City, but then when you go outside to Times Square in the middle of the street, in the middle of the day, it felt like 90-something because of how the, or even more because of how the things channel and how the buildings reflect heat and, you know, so forth. So I think it really increases the potential of mood issues with that. So in the sense that, you know, you have to kind of one hand talking about mood helping, you know, sunlight helping in the mood, but when you have too much and too... Too much too heat. Much, uh, ...hot a situation, you put, you basically can go the opposite where you're now, not not sad, but you actually get irritable. Agitated. And get yeah. Right. And, uh, you know, that's a urban heat island is, yep. is what we call yep. that. Whenever... And, then, and this, yep. And this is not to mention the more subtle effect over time because one of the reasons for greater temperature changes could be also from the pollution and also you know just the climate change issue and i think what what happened was all these subtle change over time is really we exposed to it in a microscopic way that we don't see and that you know we and we know some of the studies have shown that some of these exposure leads to neuroinflammation and so as well neuroinflammation leads to chronic uh, changes in mood and other ways of um, our body react to stress so those are very subtle. Uh, those are things that you probably won't see over, you know, it's not like someone who's selling turn the heat up real quite quickly and they feel the difference. But these are over time you start feeling that. And it has a ex- lingering effect. I mean, we know from past studies, people exposed to stuff, I mean, they, their lungs go bad, you know, their their body goes bad. And I think we're, we're planning on doing a uh, podcast with you about that as well, um, because I think you are involved in a new initiative um, or a new caucus on climate change and mental health. So I'd like to have you back on the show and we could talk about that if that works for you. Sure, I'd love to. Okay, great. Well, thank you, Dr. Ng, for taking some time with us. And we'll talk to you here again in the near future. Thank you. Well, we've been talking about winter weather and how it can have effect on your mental health, but also it can have an effect on your physical health, Andy. Yeah, even something as simple as going outside and shoveling snow. If you overdo it, you can run the risk of a heart attack. That could increase or you could hurt your back. So coming up in a bit, we've got Frank Cianfrani, who used to be a meteorologist here at AccuWeather, but now he's in the business of saving lives in another way, working with Center Lifelink EMS and going to talk about ways to keep yourself safe and healthy during winter. Weather. Right, your interview with him coming up next, but before we get to that, we just want to remind you to subscribe to the AccuWeather podcast. Also, uh, rate and review us. We'd love to hear from you. That's right, and if you have an idea for something you'd like to hear from us on the show, just email us, accuweather.podcast at accuweather.com. And of course, don't forget to subscribe. You can find us everywhere you find your favorite shows. And as we move on to our second segment, I'm joined in the studio by Director of Audio Services, Ken Prell, and we're speaking with Frank C. and 
Franey. Uh, he used to be a meteorologist here at AccuWeather, but now he's working for Center Lifelink EMS. So, Frank, let's just jump right into it. Uh, what effects does winter weather have on the cardiovascular system? Well, let's start by breaking it down. We talk about cold weather first. Cold weather, obviously, you need that to have snow. And so that's going to have a kind of an adverse effect on your cardiovascular system to begin with. Number one, your heart has to work a little bit harder to keep your body warm during, during colder temperatures. So that typically will lead to a increase in your heart rate, your mm -hmm. resting heart rate, and your blood pressure. So for most healthy people, not really a big deal, but for people that have some underlying cardiovascular disease or who have underlying health issues themselves, that can be a significant issue, can increase your risks for a heart attack or stroke just by being exposed to cold weather for, for prolonged periods of time. So then we think about snow shoveling. Snow shoveling is one of the most strenuous physical activities that you can do. It's almost the same as getting onto a treadmill and trying to run at full speed for five or 10 mm -hmm. minutes at a time. That's the same level of impact on your cardiovascular system. When you're shoveling snow, you're putting your body under enormous physical stress, particularly your heart and respiratory system. So if you think about somebody that probably is not used to physical activity and then suddenly is thrust out into doing something extremely strenuous, it can really put some increased risks on you for having a heart attack or a stroke. Well, I, I just think back to that storm, the first storm of the season before uh, Thanksgiving. Right. And you just want to, you see it fall down and the snow, you got what, about 10 inches out there. Yeah. You want to go out and you want to clear it off. What are some tips to keep in mind that you should really, you know, to look after your health? Take breaks, okay? Mm -hmm. If you go for five minutes or 10 minutes and you start to feel yourself getting winded, take a break. Go inside, get warm, uh, sit down, just relax, catch your breath. Uh, you don't have to get it all done in one single stretch. Number two is a lot of people think of snow as being light and fluffy, but the reality is, especially if it's got a lot of uh, liquid water content to it, is it's heavy. You talk about one cubic foot, foot of snow can weigh about 20 pounds. Mm -hmm. All right, so imagine if you had 20-pound bags of dog food sitting in your driveway from your front door to the curb all lined up in a row, and you went out there to try to pick them all up and throw them out of the way how that would go for you. Well, that's yeah. what you're doing most of the time when you're trying to uh, shovel snow. Do it layer by layer. You don't have to dig through all 10 inches in one shot. You know, take an inch or two or three off the top and work your way down through it. Even if you have a snow blower, those are real heavy pieces of equipment, especially the gas ones. Even that can be strenuous to get out there and push those things, especially if you have an inclined driveway like I happen to have. That can be a problem for you too. So even if you have power equipment to help you, you're still not out of the woods as far as the risk goes to your heart and your cardiovascular system. I'm sure a lot of people think, well, I got a snowblower. So yeah, I, I don't have to worry about all this. Stuff. Right. You do. You still do, unfortunately. I'll say that I am kind of guilty of what you just mentioned earlier, yeah. uh, <laughs> trying to get it all done in one go. So you're thinking like, you know, five minutes here, five minutes there. Right. Yeah. Five Drink on, water. Five off. Well, yeah, you bring up a good point. Okay. Staying hydrated. A lot of, it's very easy to become dehydrated in the winter. Okay. We've got cold, mm -hmm. dry air. You go in the house, you've got dry heat running in your home. If you're not running a humidifier, which mm -hmm. you should be to keep yourself, you know, hydrated. Okay. So keep drinking plenty of fluids. Remember your body's working harder to stay warm as part of metabolism. You're going to need additional liquid, you know, water to stay hydrated. If you're out in the cold for a while, maybe you want a warm beverage. Okay. Some hot hot cocoa or warm tea. You just got to be careful with caffeine because that can actually contribute you to you losing body heat quicker if you have too much of it. Caffeine has an impact on 
on people when they're, when they're dealing with conditions like this? Well, it does in a couple of ways. Number one, it's a stimulant, okay? So it's going to cause your heart to beat faster and harder, which is something that you're already dealing with if you're doing the physical activity of shoveling snow or if you're just outside in the cold for a prolonged period of time. So you want to try and steer away from the caffeine if you can. So okay? that kind of just, like, doubles up. Like, you could potentially, like, double up on that heart rate, like, just by drinking right. a cup of coffee and shoveling. Yeah, you don't want to add a stimulant to the fact when your heart's already working harder to begin with. And, you know, the other thing I would emphasize, too, and people just need to realize that they know, need to know when their body is giving them a warning sign, okay? So if you're out there shoveling, you've been out there for a while, and you start to feel chest pain, you start to get really short of breath, you start to feel fatigued, you break out into a cold sweat, you feel nauseous, that's your body giving you a warning sign. You need to stop. You need to rest and make sure that those symptoms subside. If they don't, it's time to call an ambulance and to get some help. It all sounds, I mean, this is all common sense stuff, but every year you hear about these stories and people, you know, I think most of the time think, oh, I'm fine. I'm doing a little activity. It's probably, I may have pulled a muscle or something like that and don't think about the deeper health impact that it could be having on them. Like I said, you need to know the warning signs that your body's giving you. And it, sometimes it can be very hard to discern between the two. You know, when you're shoveling snow, you're using muscle groups mm -hmm. that you don't usually use in day-to-day -day life a whole lot unless you are very physically active and go to the gym and lift weights and do those different things. So you feel that pain, that ache in your chest or maybe in your left shoulder from lifting the shovel, and you think, okay, it's muscular. Yeah. I just strained something. I'm using stuff I haven't used. It's possible. It could be. But it's also possible – that it's not, and it's more serious, and it's your body giving you a warning sign that there's something going on with your heart that you need to get checked out. You and mentioned uh, you mentioned that um, with taking your time. Yeah. That also kind of deals with breathing. Is there a good breathing exercise that people can be mindful of while doing that kind of physical work? Cold weather, cold, dry air can have an impact, a negative impact on your respiratory system to begin with as well. Um, it can trigger asthma attacks. If you're somebody that has COPD, it can trigger COPD exacerbation. That cold, dry air will dry out mucous membranes that line your respiratory passages cause inflammation and when they get inflamed they swell up and it gets harder to breathe it's like trying to uh, flow water through a hose that's getting smaller and smaller and smaller it's harder to move air through that so as far as what breathing exercises you can do i would encourage you this stretch warm up beforehand start to get your body moving inside your house before you go outside into that colder air. If you're somebody that has asthma or COPD, it's not the worst idea in the world to actually take some of your uh, relief medication before you go out and get engaged in that physical activity. Up to a half hour beforehand, you can use your you know rescue inhaler that you have to help prevent and open up your airway passages before you even make it out there. All right. Well, before we let you get out of here, Frank, um, Megan did a great job of giving us some research here. One of the things on, on the list here is don't drink alcoholic beverages before or immediately after shoveling. That I did not know. Because you think about it, most of the time, everybody, you know, go down and shovel, oh, I'll come back in, I'll have a beer, you know? Right. I mean, so <laughs> sure. really not something you should be doing unwise to do so. And, and here's why. Alcohol does a couple different things, okay? Number one, alcohol is a vasodilator. So when it's cold outside, your body's natural response is to tighten up and constrict a lot of your blood vessels that are out in your hands, your feet, uh, your extremities to conserve body heat, okay? 
And alcohol counteracts that. So what you're doing essentially is disabling or impairing your body's mechanism of keeping itself warm in extremely cold temperatures. So that's one way. We all know that it impairs judgment. So you may not make some of the best decisions about, like, for example, what uh, winter clothing to wear, what attire to wear if you're going outside. That's another way. And it actually also interferes with your body's ability to keep warm, not just in the sense that it dilates your blood vessels, but your body's natural response is to begin shivering uh, to help keep itself warm in extreme cold conditions. Alcohol actually impairs that function of doing that. So there's a couple different ways that alcohol is really not a good idea to mix with prolonged cold temperatures or out physical outdoor activity in cold weather. See, I, ne- I would have never yeah. known that because they always be like, you know, they'll give you a nip of whiskey and say, hey, this will warm you up. Yeah. Right. And it gives you you the false sense mm-hmm. that you feel you feel warm when you take that nip of whiskey. Right. OK, but your body actually has the exact opposite effect that's going on. About how long should you wait? Maybe if you like, let's say you're outside for about. Andy really needs his beer. I know. Hey, hey, I, I got to cover all the bases. So let's say you go outside and you're you're out there for about a good 30 to 40 minutes. You you come back inside. Uh, most of your shoveling's done. Mm-hmm. How long would a person have to wait before um, imbibing an alcoholic beverage? If you come back inside and you're feeling well, number one, so you feel like your heart rate, your respiratory rate, you're not fe- no longer feeling fatigued from the physical activity of what you were doing outside, you feel like you've warmed up again, you may even want to take your temperature real quick to make sure that you're not hypothermic at all before doing it. But I'd say, you know, at least a half hour to maybe an hour afterwards, as long as you are feeling physically well beforehand doing it. See, I would have never known that. And now... <laughs> And now I know, and that's really important. Yep. So That's why we do these yeah. segments, to learn. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, Frank, this was great. Thank you so much for taking the time yeah. and uh, sitting down with us and joining us here on uh, Everything Under the Sun. Happy to be here. Well, we're thankful to our guests who uh, were willing to take some time and sit down and talk to us about winter weather and its effects on your health. And also just a reminder to you, if you want to keep up to date on the latest winter weather specific to where you're located, you can download the AccuWeather app. It has MinuteCast, which is a hyper-local minute-by-minute precipitation forecast specific to your area. Can't beat that, right? That's right. Just look for the orange sun wherever you download your mobile apps. Okay, and then next week uh, we have a forensics episode and this one is related to winter weather as well we will be talking about lawsuits related to winter weather not only slip and falls like icicles falling but oh, also no, don't bring up icicles i know andy loves he's gonna get well, going he loves Looking icicles. over there he loves he loves the ice he, he's just if he's if like mr freeze the old him. batman villain <laughs> <laughs> so he's excited about the icicles part of it but there are, you'd be amazed at lawsuits that are based on well we already know about the slip and falls but the icicles but then also uh weather road conditions so tune in for that one it's really interesting Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Be sure to subscribe to AccuWeather's Everything Under the Sun, giving you the stories behind the weather and so much more. New episodes every Thursday. Just search for AccuWeather on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or visit accuweather.com slash podcast. Hold up. What was that? 
boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.